Welcome to the Schwartz on Sports podcast, hosted by Noah Schwartz. All right, everyone, welcome back to Schwartz on Sports, episode number 15 here on the Belly Up Podcast Network. Uh, so thrilled to welcome another guest this week, Pete Carwato, the author of From Hang Time to Prime Time. It's a book you can get it anywhere, Amazon, all over the internet. Uh, it is a book about the history of the NBA from the 70s all the way up to the late 80s, pre-Michael Jordan winning championships with the Bulls. Uh, I just read it recently. It was an excellent read. Very much recommend if you're a fan of the NBA. So, Pete, welcome to the show. Thank you for joining me. Noah, thank you. Uh, I, my pleasure. Thanks for having me on. Appreciate it. All right, so let's begin um, just talking a little bit about the book. So, mm-hmm. what's your take exactly on the book and and, and why you decided to write it? What was your motivation? I know you're a freelance writer. So what exactly went into writing this whole book? Um, yeah, I, I guess let me start with uh, what prompted me to write the book was that I just, you know, I, I've read a ton of basketball books and a ton, a ton of sports books, and I never really read anything that I want. I never, I never read, really read a book about how the NBA got to be the NBA, you know, in, in, all, in all caps. So that intrigued me. In terms of writing the book, um, yeah, you know, it's funny, as a freelance writer, you know, there, it wasn't like I, I, I got like paid leave from a staff job to write this book for six months. Um, it was a lot of juggling. And it was a lot of, um, you know, making sure that I had my finances lined up to, to write the book and making sure that I had the time set aside to write this book and, you know, balancing a few assignments here and there to make sure that I could, I could get the book done properly. So, um, but to, but to go back to your first question, which is which is the the book in a nutshell, basically it looks at the the swirl of cultural, uh, sociological, um, and uh, uh, you know I, I guess the forces in sports entertainment that created the NBA that we see today. And the book covers the years seventy five to eighty nine, and which I think are pretty much the um, the busiest and most productive years in NBA history. All right. So why exactly do you say that? Because I think mm-hmm. there's a bunch of different eras that people could argue as to what were, what was the best. Is it the modern era of the three-point revolution? Is it the Michael Jordan era? Is it Will Chamberlain, Bill Russell? So why, why do you think it's the 70s and 80s? Well, I don't think it's the, I don't necessarily think it's the best, you know, best period, quote unquote. I mean, again, I, 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 I'm always loath to say, oh yeah, this is the best ever, or this is the best, because again, like there's still we're in the, we're still playing the NBA. Like it's still happening. <laughs> um, but to me, I think it's the most important era in, in, in the, 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 the era that I cover, I think it's the most important era for, for a few reasons. And I'll try to go, go through without boring everyone to tears. Uh, the first is the obvious you have, you know, that period of time as the arrival of Michael Jordan in 1984, which, you know, he has, he has a, an unimaginable impact on, how the game is played, how the game is marketed, how, you know, why we, you know, in terms of just the, uh, the whole concept of the individual player as a superstar instead of the team. So that's one thing that all, the other two players, Michael, I'm sorry, Magic Johnson and Larry Bird obviously come in in 79 and they immediately offer a ready-made narrative for the NBA and for its television partners to market and to, um, and to, uh, 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 distribute to you know a nation of casual fans or fans that maybe weren't interested in basketball to begin with. In 1984, you also have the arrival of David Stern as NBA commissioner, who really saw the NBA as an entertainment property. He you know he likened it to Disney, and he made sure to market it and to present it like Disney, with everything from videotapes to uh, arenas that had theme park that were like theme parks uh, to characters. You know, if you look at my I, in the book, I think I made this comparison. Michael Jordan is pretty much is pretty much Mickey Mouse in a lot of ways. You know, an easy identifiable, um, easy to like unless you're a Knicks fan, um, a character who you know again a casual fan could get could get into and then and then get to know the rest of the universe that way, um, the NBA universe. The other thing too with with that era, I think there are a lot of other people and um, events that kind of go under the radar. Um, 75, 76 finds, uh, brings the arrival of, of Julius Irving to the NBA. And to, to me, I think he's as important a figure as Michael Jordan because he gives the NBA its first easy to market, readily identifiable superstar. Somebody who, 
you know, in, in an age where television is really taking off, Julius Irving becomes somebody that everyone can identify because his game is so alluring. It's, it's this above the rim, high flying game, but he also becomes really a corporate, um, the perfect corporate spokesperson for the NBA because he's just, he's dignified, he's eloquent. He, 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 he always has time for every reporter's question for every marketing opportunity. And in 1982, the NBA and CBS gets a new executive producer by the name of Ted Shaker who is very much in line, whose philosophy for the, for the broadcasts are very much in line with what David Stern wants. And enter, you know, he wants Ted Shaker and his crew and, his, uh, and his, uh, his team of CBS Sports, they look at the games as, as entertainment. So, and they want to make sure that the viewers that are there for the games, they, they want to make these games as appealing as possible. So they, so they, so every game features a superstar. Every game features a story arc. Every game features colorful halftime anecdotes. Um, you know, every game features camera work that is maybe a little bit more inventive than what you're used to, maybe a little more cinematic than the typical broadcast. So to me, all of those things happen between 75 and 89. And you could say the nineties are important too. Well, to me, you know, I'm 43. I grew up with the NBA on NBC. Like every Saturday was, you know, Michael Jordan and Marv Albert, and Mike Fratello doing the color commentary. The that contract with the NBA's contract with with C, um, sorry with NBC starts or is signed in 1989, and that open so that so that signing kind of marks the end of the old school NBA in terms of a plucky mom and pop operation and that deal with NBC really accelerates it into uh, into a global brand for sure. So one of the things that you just mentioned was the way that the league marketed its stars. And mm -hmm. that to me has always stood out about the NBA, mm -hmm. uh, especially when you compare it to other sports. Sure. I love the way the basketball promotes its star players over the teams. Mm -hmm. Why do you think they took that approach as opposed to let's say the NFL, where it's all about the individual franchise but the NBA has always gone with the star players. Those are the most important things. We've got to prioritize them first. Right. No, that's a good question. It, it's the reason for that is um, I think there are two parts, two parts to that answer. The first part is that the NBA had no tradition. You know, you're talking about, you talk about pro football, uh, the NFL, obviously, and major league baseball. Those games are part, are part of the American fabric. You know, if you look at baseball has been around for, Oh my goodness. At this point now, 160 years. So it's part of the American fabric. You can tell, you can pretty much tell American history from, I would say, Civil War on with baseball. And if you look at the language, so many, so many of our, so many words and phrases that we use in daily, in our daily lives come from, comes from baseball. Um, so the NFL, um, you know, came was really a, a sport that came up, came aboard with the rise of television. The first, the most, I'm trying to think, the first game that was on national television was the 58 championship with the Colts and the New York Giants. And that was an overtime game that, that you know, if you read any sports history book, that, they, that the author will, the authors inevitably say that that game, which was the first on television, which was the first, NFL game on, I believe on television and the first overtime game okay. that really accelerated um, America's uh, love affair with the NFL. The NBA had nothing, had, had none of that. There was no watershed moment um, like, like that football game. There was no, there was no part of the NBA or rather basketball becoming part of America's fabric from such an early part, the way that baseball was. So the NBA had, really didn't really have any any tradition to 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 trade upon so yeah the, so the notion of like and, and with and with those sports you know you could you could the tradition of team is very much part of that like baseball is steeped in team and football too so those those carried on basketball didn't have any the nba didn't have any of that and the thing too is when the nba becomes a, a, a i guess more of a cultural force in the, in the 80s that's when that's at the height of television. It's also the height of the eighties when it's all about image and it's all about what's hot and what's sexy. So it's very hot and very sexy to promote superstars. It's very easy to 
you know, to take a Michael Jordan or Julius Irving, a Larry Bird, uh, a Magic Johnson, and just trumpet them. And it's also was an easy way for the NBA to get, as I said before, get fans. You know, if you, uh, I've used this comparison before, but, you know, I see that you're a Jets fan, you're a Mets fan. I'm willing to bet that an individual player got you into those teams, right? Was it a, was it a player that like made you fall in love with either those teams or with the sport? No, I would say with the Mets, it was definitely because of my father. He's a big Mets fan too. So, okay. And then with the Jets, I think Rex Ryan would really okay. be the reason. And when they got to the AFC championship game, those, those two years. Yeah. And in that first season, I guess Mark Sanchez would be the only person that I could think of, yeah. but really it was because of the, the individual team, not, not the players. That's interesting. See, I, I, but I, I, see, I grew up, I didn't really grow up with, I, I grew up with a, in a family that was not a family of non-sports fans. So I kind of, I looked toward players. When I was growing up, Mike Schmidt, the Philadelphia Phillies was, was a player that I immediately identified with. And, um, and I'm trying to think who else in basketball was Patrick Ewing, um, even a little bit of Michael Jordan to start off with. So I, I think the NBA knew that if you, I think the NBA knew, and I don't think if it was, it was, a, it was stated outright but i think they they understood that if you have a play if you can promote a player if someone like if some if a casual fan or a fan or someone who isn't a fan sees let's say dr j or kareem abdul jabbar and they fall in love with that player that player can then take them into the team and they can take them into the rest of the nba um and i think and that's i think that's a really good model to follow because again basketball didn't have I don't. I doubt there was a there were there was a, there were a, there were a bunch of fathers and sons connecting over the NBA. I could be wrong, but I think baseball definitely has that that narrative, and football I think definitely has that narrative. The NBA. Well, didn't, why do you think so, that is though? Because there were stars like Oscar Robertson, Kareem, Bill Russell, Will Chamberlain. There were so many stars. Sixties, mm-hmm. early seventies. Right. What took so long? What took so long? That's a Another good question. What took so long was that they were they was that the game was barely televised. You know, you maybe had one game a week that was on ABC if you were lucky, and that game and those games were all were usually um, you, you usually couldn't see those games until let's say two or three months in because college football was was preempting those games. ABC that was ABC's agreement. You know. Um, so, and the other thing too, is that they, you know, so you had the, there's a lack of coverage. I think that's one thing. The second thing is, is that, you know, you mentioned all those stars, they're, they're all, they're all black. And I think at that time, it's at that in the six, in the fifties and sixties and, you know, going on and on, it it's, it was, especially in the fifties and sixties, pardon me, it was very hard to get behind a, a black player. Uh, even if, even if they were a champion like Bill Russell, even if they were a physical specimen like Will Chamberlain, um, it, it's funny if you if you you know with Bill Russell, you know he won all those championships. You know he won eleven and thirteen years, and he's generally he's generally considered one of the two or three best basketball players of all time. But it's funny for most of his time in Boston in the fifties and sixties. No one. No, he was. He was very. He wasn't well liked. He wasn't well liked by 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 oh, by the white fans because he was outspoken. He was somebody who was not going to you know sit down and shake hands. He was somebody who was not. He wasn't a. He was out. You know. He was. He was somebody who saw what was around, didn't like what he saw, and, and was and was um, blunt about it. And that was an attitude that many white fans were not going to be appreciative of. Like in the book, I, I spoke to Mike Burns who worked for the Boston Celtics in the 60s, right, right when Bill Russell was winding things down. And he, was, he would try to sell season tickets to, to folks in and around the Boston area. And like one out of every three people would complain about Bill Russell. Like, ah, oh, I can't get in the game because of Russell. You know, ah, he's just, he's too this, he's too that. So I think those are some, those are some hurdles that the NBA had. There was, there was a, lack, a lack of coverage. And there was the fact that you still had, and this still persists to this day, unfortunately, there were a number of white viewers, potential viewers, who saw the game as being too black. So when you move into the market of individual players, when you, when you, when you sell the players and their abilities and their nice smile and their, you know, and, and their gregarious nature, like, like a Magic Johnson or Michael Jordan, that is, that is, a much, more, that is much more digestible for I believe most consu- most white consumers to take, and that's what the NBA did really well. 
they didn't politicize or saddle their players with the burdens of with the burdens of complex personalities. So you never really knew what Magic Johnson felt about race. You, ne- you know, you never really heard Larry Bird talk about what it was like to grow up dirt poor in, in French Lake, Indiana. The NBA just stripped all of, the, all of those inconvenient truths, for lack of a better phrase, and marketed the players. They marketed the behind-the-back passes and the, and, the, and, the, and, the, you know, and, and the fun and the magic of the game. And, that's, and I think that's what ultimately led the NBA to become so popular is that they, they, were, re- they were really astute at taking anything that was, that was slightly objectionable, that could even be deemed slightly objectionable, and, and stripping all that away and just giving you the good stuff. And I think the, and, and that, and that's, and that, per, that was everything from their commercials in the eighties to the videos, to everything else. So yeah, it's, it's a very, it's a very, it's, and I think that might still be holding back the NBA today because, you know, again, we, we just saw with this, pre, with this last presidency, you know, there's still some people that there's still a lot of people, not some who do not want athletes to be portrayed as more than people. And I think that was, and that, if that attitude was prevalent in now, in 2021, I cannot imagine how um, virulent it was back in the 50s and the 60s. So let me just give you a hypothetical. Sure. Let's say Magic and Larry and Michael in the 80s were very outspoken the way that the stars were previously like a Bill Russell or a LeBron now. Sure. Where would the NBA be? Hmm. Where would the NBA be? I think it would still be on the outside looking in. Okay. I really do. I, I think, I, and, and that's, that's a, that's a, that's a really good, I never, you know, I, I never thought of, of that hypothetical. Um, yeah. I think if you, had, if you had Michael Jordan coming, you know, coming up and talking about Nike's labor practices or, um, Larry Bird talking about, you know, what it was like, really like growing up in, in, in Indiana or Magic Johnson talking about, you know, the, the struggle being a young black man in Los Angeles or even in Michigan where he grew up, it'd be much, it'd be, we would be looking at an NBA that was still, um, still going through growing pains. I, and I think that would persist to this day. Um, yeah. And, and, and that just goes to show you also just how, yeah, I mean that that's a really good question. I it, it is something that I think yeah, I think the NBA would really would still be would still be in its adolescence for sure. So how do you think David Stern played a role in all of this because he was one of the most prevalent people in your book. You didn't interview him. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, you said that you really wanted to, but it didn't happen. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I think with the, again, he, I'm, well, yeah, with David Stern again, he he was a marketer first. And you know, David Stern, you know, was uh, was a lawyer and you know, again, we think of, we think of lawyers um, typically as being very buttoned down and by the book. David Stern wasn't like that. David Stern, with everyone that I talked to, everyone mentioned at some point at some point or another that David Stern was a marketing genius, and he had the ability to see to to take his love of the game. He loved, loved, loved professional basketball. He grew up with it. He and his dad went to Knicks games. He loved professional basketball, so he was able to take that love and find a way to promote the best parts of the NBA and, and, and carry that forward. You know, again, I mean, it's, he, he was, and again, everything with, you know, if you look at every, at all these, at all these key parts in the book um, and, 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 and in that, in that time frame of, of the book, he's active in everything. He is all, he's, he, he, he watches every game on television and can spot the flaws in what's being, in what's being portrayed and what's happening. He, you know, he basically, he, he's the one who creates NBA entertainment, which basically is the, which is, which technically is the NBA's video highlights arm, but really it's a giant marketing firm. So he was able to put everything that the NBA had and cover it in a, in a fine gloss of marketing. And he was, he, and, and I think that's, that was his greatest strength was that he, 
he knew that for the NBA to really succeed, that he had that he had to put the best, he had to put the NBA's best foot forward. And that was again by, you know, by just not only showing the good stuff with the, with all the highlights and and showing the personalities of the players, but also taking care of of, of trouble at home, M- namely the collective bargaining agreement in 1983, and um and and forming a drug policy that, you know, may have been flawed, but at least gave the impression of hey, the NBA, we're, we're trying, we're, we're, you know, we know there's a problem, but we're trying. You know, David Stern was all, I think David, David Stern, I think before any of the major sports commissioners, I think he understood the value of optics better than just about any, I think he understood, he understood optics better than just about anybody. I mean, he was a, he was a genius in seeing what the issue was on the surface, how it could be solved, and implementing a plan to solve it. And the best part is he was fluid. There was nothing, if something was, there was, he was not steeped in like corporate dogma or like, this is the way we always did things. He, he was fluid in thought and he was, he was not afraid to try and, and, and try something new. And, and that, I think that those qualities ultimately made him very, very good at his job. Yeah, I was going to mention, he definitely seemed to be creative and willing to try anything to mm-hmm. get his to the forefront. Absolutely. Like he, he obviously did that um, at an exceptional level. And I, I thought it was interesting how your book talked about how he took over from, from Larry O'Brien mm-hmm. and he just completely changed the fortunes of the league. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, Larry O'Brien, I mean, was, was hired pretty much as a way, again, we, I talked about optics. Lyra Brown was the first example of optics because here's, here is, I saw Hubie Brown. Here's a guy who <laughs> was part of JFK's White House. Um, you know, he was a major political player. He was on the cover of Time Magazine. So for the NBA to hire him was a, was a real triumph because here's somebody who, who radiated importance and gravitas and seriousness, which the NBA desperately needed at that time. But yeah, with David, but yeah, Larry O'Brien hires David Stern full-time in 78. And the best thing that Larry O'Brien does, which I think gets overlooked, is he gives David Stern free reign. Like, look, you do whatever you need to do. You know, I am, you know, Larry, Larry O'Brien was just going to be sort of the figurehead and just do what needed to be done to be the face of the NBA. But he was very, but Larry O'Brien was more than, um, more than happy to give David, David Stern Think jobs to do and for and David Stern to, to just go nuts. And that's the beauty of it. There really was nothing to lose. You know, the NBA didn't really have the NBA's popularity, you know, in, in the, in the mid seventies, late seventies was really, you know, was really below sea level. And there were a, um, they were, um, you know, they, they were really, they were, they were struggling for legitimacy. They were struggling for television ratings. Everything was so hard. So, for Dave, for, for Larry, so for David, so David, so it was a perfect laboratory for David Stern to go in there and just try new things and to be hands on because, because again, like, you know, when the, nobody, really, nobody really cared. Like if you, if I'm trying to think if Bowie Kuhn, who was the uh, Melee baseball commissioner told, I don't know, some underling, like, Hey, you know what? Like, I'm just going to sit back here and, you know, I'm going to sort of fill out some paperwork and do some interviews. You go, you go handle the designated hitter rule. Like you go handle like the World Series format, people would go nuts. But the NBA, but with the NBA, it really wasn't. It wasn't prime time. Um, it wasn't a, a, a prime time sport. So David Stern could go in there and just sort of be, a, just sort of learn on the job and and try new things and, and get acclimated to um, the commissionership that was destined to be his. So I want to move off the past a little bit. Mm-hmm. What do you think is the next step for the NBA as it continues to grow in popularity? Because we've obviously seen a lot of conflict, and you mentioned it before. Stars are speaking out. It's a lot more political than it, than it has been. Right. What's the next step for the NBA to sort of return to what you consider to be the, kind of the glory days? See, I think, I think that's out of the bag. You know, I, I think the, the NBA's glory days, part of what made it, what made it, what made it its glory days, quote-unquote, was that it rose from nothing into a big giant something. So, so Pandora's box has been open. Like you, you know, it's, it's, it's to me, it is ridiculous to 
to to to recommend the NBA go back to the way things things used to be or the way things were because you, you can't. It, it's it's the NBA is too big of a the NBA is a is a is an international billion dollar industry. What would, I mean, you probably know this better than I do know, but like there's a reason a recent report came out that five teams in the NBA are now worth five billion dollars. Yep, I, Golden State, the Knicks, the Lakers, I think Boston's also the Nets. Or right there, yeah, yeah, it's really become a popular thing. So you can so so the days of like, oh, let's go back to being scrappy and just that's over. That is done. It's not happening. What the NBA can do, I think, is I think what, what I think what they what they've done very well is they have sort of let they've kept it a players' league. And I think you know the the players are always front and center, and that also means that if you keep your players front and center. They have to, you have to let them be themselves. They have to be outspoken. They have to speak what's on their mind. And that's why I think the NBA still has a lot of goodwill is because someone like LeBron James can be LeBron James. He doesn't have to, he can do things for his community. He can do things for, for the future, for his whatever. And he can, and he can be admired for it. And no one really bats an eye to that. I think in the, in the NBA world of Twitter and Instagram and, and all that good stuff. What I would like the NBA to do, what I what, what I would like the NBA to do a better job of, is I think, well, first of all, I think what they're doing now with, and you know, I know I know what you feel about this, but the the whole thing now with COVID nineteen and the games is, is insane. I think they have to, they need to rectify that first. Um, what do you mean? Uh, well, I'm I'm not sure why they didn't. I'm not sure why. Well, I know why they didn't stay in the bubble. I mean, everything comes down to money. Right. I do not know why they didn't just stay in the bubble for until things were settled because and again you know again i this whole thing of home games and away games it, it's it to me is it's preposterous um i i don't think it's i think the nba is frittering away the goodwill that it accumulated with the bubble uh, in orlando because i think that was such that was such a noble uh, such an ingenious way to handle it instead of trying to do the same old thing and now they're doing the same old thing i mean you're seeing the covid-19 cases go up you're seeing all these problems happen. I, I, so I would, I hope that the NBA can, can figure out a way out of that with, you know, it, where, where, where before someone dies, because I really think, you know, it, it's just become, you know, when, when I see games canceled because of COVID, because like half the rosters of a team have COVID, that strikes me as being as something being wrong. And I think that needs to be remedied. But what, what I was going to say is, I would love to see the NBA do more for the WNBA. I think that to me, I think, you know, you have so many girls now that are, are that are, that are emboldened to play sports and, you know, they're, 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 you know, they're, they're playing more, they're playing more sports. To me, the WNBA, you know, it's been 20 plus years now that it's, that it's been, that's been under the NBA's, um, I guess, influence. And I don't know, it just, it's, it seems like it's still, in its goosey goosey stage for lack of a better term i would love to see the wnba promoted better i think it'd be great if you had wnba games played during the nba season which would allow for better cross promotion which would allow for maybe more eyes to watch watch you know you know sue bird and and all these other other wonderful players like to watch them you know watch them watch them play and perform i think right now the summer's a dead season for the, for the, for the WNBA, I would love to see, you know, I'd love to see that, that game get more, that, I'm sorry, that the league get more promotion and get more of the NBA treatment. Um, but yeah, you know, but again, to go back to, oh, the good old days. I mean, I, I think if you talk to anybody at the NBA, you know, when you look at five teams with five billion, worth $5 billion and you see an international, an international um, audience that is just huge and feverish for basketball. And you also see, players from international areas um, starring in the NBA. Like Some of the best guys are from, from overseas. Absolutely. Yep. I mean, I was, was, I was just talking to a couple of, uh, doing, I did another podcast yesterday and we, the hosts and I came up with our favorite W I'm sorry, um, NBA players. And we all had international representation. Well, I can tell you that two of my five favorite players in the league right now was Giannis and Luca. I mean, yeah. they are just ridiculous. And, and Nicole Jokic, what he's doing, and Embiid might be the MVP favorite. 
to this yeah. point early in the season. It's unbelievable how good it's these guys crazy. Are. And when I when I was when I was when I was growing up, when I was in my my teens, like if you drafted a foreign player, it was like whoa, 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 did someone lose a bet? Like it was just. But it's it's astounding now to see the the, the see it's 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 astounding and, and to be frank, wonderful to see so many players internationally who are so good. Like Joel Embiid is a, is a unicorn. I've never seen a big man like just dribble the ball like that or shoot threes. Luca is the same way. It's 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 crazy. So it's the top five passer of my lifetime. I, I think. Yeah. I mean, what he can do with the ball? Oh my god. Yeah, and the thing about about him, what I love is with 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 Jokic is that he has like he plays like the old man at the YMCA. Like it's yep. a very back to the basket. He always like he, he always looks like he's moving in slow motion. But then it's like whoa, he put up like twenty eight, nineteen, and five, like in ten, like crazy. He's averaging a triple double to this point. Yeah, it's not. I mean, it's, it's a joke how good he is. Yeah, I, I think uh, yeah, it, it's so yeah. So obviously, like the so obviously, look, I, I'll take that stuff over the NBA now. And, and look, I think I, I, tra- I traffic a lot of nostalgia. If you read my clips, a lot of, a lot of it is, from, I, I look back at things a lot. And so I think, I think I'm, I'm a, I'm a, uh, I'm, I, I'm a, I'm a nostalgist by nature, but I, I think if you were to talk to anybody at the NBA, you know, if you were to talk to Adam Silver, I think he would say like, this is great. We're in terrific shape right now. You know, we have, Again, we have all these franchises that are worth, you know, the floor I think for 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 a franchise is now 1.5 billion. We have these inter- great international players that are bringing more exposure to our game worldwide. We have um, we have players that are not only brilliant on the court but brilliant off the court. Le- 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 LeBron James. We have um, you know we have our regional sports network- networks are doing great. I, I think the only, you know, so really, really there's no, I don't think there's any reason for the NBA to, to, to try and tinker with what's with, with what they have or, or what it has, I should say. Um, again, the only thing that bothers me, and I'm curious to hear your thoughts on this. I think the COVID thing, I, I, I wish they would go back to the bubble. I, I just think that that's, well, yeah. I'll say this. I, I agreed that they didn't, I agree that the bubble was a great experience and watching mm-hmm. it all summer was phenomenal for me. I yeah. loved it. I thought it was the best way to move forward in yeah. that part of the pandemic. But now that we're, I mean, we have a vaccine that's out, it's available, people can get it. I just feel like it was a lot on the players and, and we saw how much it affected them. I mean, the things that the guys like Paul George were saying afterwards, and he was, you know, the joke of the bubble after his performance, what he said about having depression and wanting yeah. to move their so badly, I felt for guys and I, I understood why, it was so difficult to be away from family. And, and we saw the other sports. I mean, the NFL's making it through and college football made it through. Was it, was it smooth? Was it easy? Absolutely not. The Broncos played a game without a quarterback. But if I felt like going to a bubble was – after they had done it once, it was too an extreme that they just couldn't continue with. That, that's just me, though. No, yeah. It, it, look, it's – pardon me. And, 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 again, look, I'm sure – look, the NBA – if there's one thing I learned in, in writing about the NBA – is is that like everything is planned you know everything you know the, the nba is not just gonna like adam silver is not gonna flip a coin that you know and be like well and say like well and say well heads is heads were in the bubble you know tails were, were back to doing things as normal there are reasons for this and i think a lot of it has to do with you know probably broadcast rights and money i mean it, that's that's a big part of it i, I just i don't know i mean Again, I mean, we just crossed 400,000 deaths with related to COVID in the U.S. Um, you know, I don't know. I, I, I don't know. I don't. There's no clean answer. It, it just, but it just seems foolish. But again, when I see, you know, I see games canceled because of COVID. When I see, um, you know, um, Carl Anthony Towns, like, you know, he has now has COVID, and, and seven of his relatives, you know, died of it. I don't know. I, I, you know, again, and this is, and this is part, this kind of goes back to your other, to your other question as well. You know, back when I, in, in the era that this book covers, there was very much, there was very much a college dorm um, feel to the NBA where like, where everyone's your buddy and there's nothing to lose and the future's in front of you and it's nothing but good times and noodle salad. Now, but now the NBA is a business. And that's the thing, when you are a business, when you have stakeholders, when you have, you know, when you have, when you're playing with billions and billions of dollars, the, the, the choices are not as clear cut 
and are not as um, not as obvious as they seem. So you know, I think that kind of that kind of ties into the, the the book now. You know, it's the 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 MBA that you know that that I think everyone. Let me let me let me start over. Sorry, it's um we can't go back to. It, there's too much money now, and there's too there's there are too many people with stakes in the game for for the NBA to kind of be for the NBA to be the NBA that, that I want it to be. Right. If that if that you makes you want sense. it to be the loosey goosey. Yeah. Everybody has fun sort of league, and they just there's too much at risk now to, to play like that. Absolutely. Look, I mean, it's, it's a, it's a, and again, you know, you're seeing this now with colleges making cuts and making choices. And, you know, we, every, you know, when you talk about college, um, you know, we all talk about, Oh, it's a place of learning and it's a place where you grow up and it's, you experiment and, but there, it's a business. And with bit and with businesses, there are, you know, there are cuts and, and you have to make changes to thrive as a business. And, the NBA is way, way up there. So, yeah, it, it's uh, you know, the M- yeah, it, it's going the NBA is going to do its best for the NBA as, as it should because that's that's how businesses work. You know, it, it's which again is I, again just goes to show you just how far the NBA has come since you know the mid '70s when I'm trying to think of an example when like you know the NBA the NBA you know the NBA's um, the NBA All Star Games. Uh, festivities in in phoenix like i don't know it was held in some dude's backyard like that was like the party for the nba all-star game it's 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 a whole different ball game and it's it's you know i can't imagine covering the nba now because it's just it's it's almost like covering it's like like, a reality show yeah it's it's not a reality show but it's also like it's like covering like microsoft or google it's just this big big giant business and you know, it's it's not it's not the kind of it's not the kind of league anymore where you can call David Stern up and talk to David Stern directly or Adam Silver directly. It's yep, just sure. totally different. This episode of Schwartz on Sports is brought to you by Invader Coffee. Invader Coffee is an ultra premium veteran owned coffee company, proudly delivering only the best coffee your hard earned money can buy. They aim to serve only the highest quality organic air-roasted coffee beans sourced from free trade farms all over the world. They keep things simple, the best coffee at an affordable price in order to provide you with the value you deserve for your morning boost. 100% fair trade, 100% organic coffee beans, 100% air-roasted, 100% money-back guarantee. Visit invadercoffee.com and enter promo code BELLYUP at checkout to receive 15% off your order. So last couple for me, sure. you mentioned the WNBA and how you'd like to see the NBA uh, really represent them and support mm-hmm. them more. Yeah. And it was one of the questions I was planning to ask you, and I was going to ask it last, but this actually fits in perfectly now. Sure. So we heard yesterday about what happened with the general manager with the Mets and everything. He got mm-hmm. fired sending those text messages. What can, and you're a member, member of the media, what can members of the Barely. media, writers, what can people around the basketball realm, what can they do to make it just a better place for women? Just because as we've heard, it, it can be rough out there for, for women that are trying to make it in this, in this world. Yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. I saw that. And I, and the, the report by, uh, by Mina Kimes and Jeff Passan at, at ESPN was just, it was, it was heartbreaking to read. I mean, it really was because this, this was a, this is a, a woman who was, you know, she was pursuing her dream to become a bit to, to cover baseball. And just was, you know, she she's no longer she's no longer doing that. She's in finance now. And yeah, I mean, I will, but I'll preface my my remarks by saying that you know I'm I'm a freelance writer. I, I you know I don't cover a team. I don't cover a sport. I'm I'm you know I'm not really in the locker rooms or even with a pack of reporters. But I can say this: I think the first and obvious thing to do with and this and this also ties into what has happened over the last several months with um, in regards to the NBA and, and other professional sports showing their uh, support, whether it's by protesting or uh, acting out or whatever, however you want to call it, protesting, commenting on, on racial incidents that have happened. I think the most important thing for people like me, and I'm talking about white male reporters, is to listen. Like, listen, read, really just absorb what 
what what what that what's in that um, what was what was in that article, and also the articles that have come out after that. I'm trying to think. I'm trying to think who wrote. Oh boy, the the Daily News baseball columnist. Nisha um, Tosar for the Mets. Yes, she yep. wrote a great piece. Um, I think that was her. Great, yeah, for sure. About being in the same situation where you know she's where she's being se- sexually um, um, uh, harassed and 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 you know demeaned. That's that, that the so what I would recommend is, is read as read what you can about that. Also, um, so that's, and, and listen and take take what's in the take what's, take take what's in those articles and what's being said and tweeted because there's plenty out there. Take it to heart and then maybe look inside and see what you've done and what you can do to be better. And also, you know, if I were covering a clubhouse or or team and you know something like that happened, if if I was if I had a female colleague who was who was you know in who was um, the target of a comment as it happened, I speak up, speak up about that, you know, and, and that just go and that, and that doesn't just go for what's happening in sports right now, but just in general, like if you see something that's happening, you know, say something, do something. Don't just, you know, don't the, the concept of, well, that's who he is or like, Oh, that he's just joking or, Oh, he's, that doesn't fly anymore. Right. Like, you know, we, we, we can't, you know, we can't sit back and let someone just say something and not be, not be punished for it. And I, I'm not saying punished as in, you know, I'm talking, and, and punishment can just be something as simple as saying like, don't say that. Or like, come on, like, you know, that's, that's inappropriate. And, and also look inward too. Like, I mean, I think there are, there are things there, are, you know, I think we've all done things that we, we've all done things that are questionable. We've all said things that are questionable. We've all had, we've all, read something previously and dismissed it. I think it's also important to now just look inside and to, um, and to just figure out like how we can be better. And that can be something as simple as talking to someone in your life who, you know, a a female media member and, and, you know, asking what you can do to be better or just being more self-aware. You know, I think we're all, we're also wrapped up in what we do in our jobs and the pandemic. I, I don't think, I don't think there's a lot of time for self reflection. So when these things happen, I think it's extremely important to just take a look inside. It's like, okay, well, how can I be better? And I think that's something that, you, that just should drive us every day. How can we be better? Yeah, I was um, going to say there's, there's definitely a culture of complacency within sports at times, and that's definitely the issue. Yeah. And there was a way to push forward. That's, that's the only way that you can move on from something like this. And get I don't know. I don't know. I think by put, I, you know, I don't know how you push forward. I think, I think every little bit helps. Um, and again, I think, I think it's also, yeah, it, it's, I, I don't, I don't, I really don't want, I don't want to read another one of these stories because they're heartbreaking to read. They're heartbreaking. Horrible. Because no one, because again, like work, working a job is hard enough as it is. Like that's like, that's like, that's, you know, especially if you're, if you're a, if you're a sports reporter or you're a beat reporter, like that's, that is a hard enough job as it is because you are, you are, your job is, your job is basically trying to let people into your, into your life to, to trust them and for them to trust you. So not only that, you're also dealing in an industry that's like crumbling by the day. So it's a tough enough job, but to have some, but to be subjected to, you know, to, to sex and to, and to friggin' you know, nonsense, you know, to be talked down to, it's, it's hard enough as it is. And I, I, I hope that, I, you know, again, I just, I think the things that we can do now is just now more than ever, it's just to be empathetic, to listen. And to, when you see something that happens in front of you, say something and, and not just be like, well, you know, that's Jim, you know, Jim's in his seventies. Ah, that's just old. No, that, that doesn't fly anymore. Because again, like Jim, Jim's always going to be there. He's not going to fire, but if there's a 25 year old woman who's like trying to make her way through the industry, she's the one that's affected. Exactly. That comment or that act, could derail her career. Right. And, 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 and case, that is unfair. This girl, like, as you mentioned, she's back in her home country, yeah. wherever that may be, and she's not even in the journalism industry anymore. She, she's down in finance. So yeah. obviously her whole career dream is now shot because of some incident that she had no control over. It, it's awful. I mean, and I, and I can, and, and reading that story, I absolutely, you know, it, it all, it, it was just, it was, the, the comments are just heartbreaking, including the, including the last line, you know, it, the last couple of lines in that story. 
but what, what, what stood out is that, you know, she wanted to, she wanted to, she, she engaged, she engaged in the text because like she felt that was a source and she felt like that she thought she, her understanding was that how is that's how things were done. And it's, and it's, and it's not. And I, I, you know, I, I don't know that, you know, I, I kind of, you know, it would be great. I don't know if this is, if this has happened yet, but if there would be some sort of mentoring program or some sort of, you know, I, I don't know if the Society of Professional Journalists do this or the, or the ASPE, but like, there's gotta be some sort of mentoring program or there, if there isn't, there should be mentoring program or, for 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 women reporters or I, I don't know it's a real real thorny uh, as you can tell it's it's a very very complicated thorny subject and I, you know again I think at the end of the day it's a call for all of us to do better we have to do better have to all right last one uh, for me before we had it had out of here on a lighter note mm-hmm. number one you're an NBA historian you we've never seen three scores like this does Harden Irving and Durant work. Well, I'll, I'll preface it by saying I'm not really an NBA historian. I mean, it's, I'm just a, I'm just a really curious guy who happened to write a book. Um, so, <laughs> but in terms of three scores, we have seen it. If you go back to Denver in the '80s with Alex English, Kiki Mandaway, and um, um, Dan Issel in the '80s, that's true. Yep, that's true. You know, there there have always been hot. There have always been trios of if Seattle had uh, Dale Ellis, Tom Chambers, Xavier McDaniel, Run TMC back in the day. I mean, you also had that, you, know, you also had the history, you also had scores with, uh, with Golden State, you know, you had Durant and, uh, and Clay and, and Steph. So I just mean like guys who are ball dominant, their usage rates are astounding. I mean, these guys are all capable of winning a scoring title, Irving and Durant. I mean, uh, uh, Durant and Harden have done it multiple mm-hmm. times each. So I, I think it's fascinating. It's fascinating. I, but again, one of, one of, one of them has to be, one of them has to has to be um, has to take a step back, and and that's gonna be really hard. I think Kyrie is I think Kyrie is the natural fit for that. Yep, um, I agree. Because I, I mean he's a playmaker by nature, and he's so good at it. He's great at he can he's so good at dry, he's so good at penetrating and finding those open spaces. The problem is though is does Kyrie want that? You know, I mean Kyrie was you know second banana in Cleveland for all those years, and and you know does he does he want that? I think that's going to be, that's the great question. And also can the, can everyone set aside what they want for the, for the greater good of the team? That's, that's the ultimate question. Can it work? Anything can work. You know, I mean, you can drive a, you can drive a car with your feet if you wanted to. I mean, everything can, I mean, it can, everything, anything can work. It's just, it's just going to be a challenge as to who is, Who's the point guard? And well, maybe they, I, I think they're going to win the title. I, you, I, you really think so? Absolutely. I think they are oh, far see, better I, than – if you consider the Lakers to be the best team currently, I think by the time the playoffs roll around, the Nets will be far greater. With a rookie coach, I mean, that's, that's a big that's – a, that's a big pill for me to swallow. I mean, if, if the three of them can decide who – to me, I think Harden and Kyrie maybe have to decide who plays point that night. And who beca- who's the main distributor? If they if they can figure that out, I think they'll be okay. The problem is again is you have a rookie coach, a rookie head coach, in a major media market who now has a ton of expectations on his shoulders now because he has three of the best players in the league. That's a lot. That's a lot to swallow. And three of the, the biggest egos, yeah, difficult personality guys in the league. They are not easy to manage. No, that, that I'll definitely admit. No, that's a big that's a big issue. The other thing too is. Are they going to have enough time to gel? You know, we're now 10, like 10 games into 10, 12 games into a 72 game season. Is that going to be enough for this three headed monster concept to work? I, I mean, don't know. I, th- it, I think so personally, but we'll see. I, look, I mean, I, I'm not an NBA insider by any means. I'm, I'm somebody who just who saw the trade and was, was, <laughs> was amused by it. Um, because again, I, I, I wonder like, well, how, Again, it's the age-old question. Well, who are there enough basketballs? But I will say this: you know that that's always been that has always been a theme through NBA history. Like if you look at if you look at the the the, the Knicks of of um, of uh, Clyde Frazier and Paul Monroe, like that was a question: like who's which who's going to score? Like who's going to play? 
the same thing with the 71, 72 Lakers when you had, you know, Gail Goodrich and Walt Chamberlain and Jerry West, you know, they, again, like three Hall of Fame players to, I would say, top 25 talents. Who's going to, you know, who's going to score? I do think though, that the great players, the truly, the truly, the truly great players are able to set aside ego and know what the greater good is. And I think Kevin Durant did that with Golden State, did that really well. Um, and I think he could do that here. Will Kyrie and James Harden follow suit? That's that. That's the million dollar question. And um, but I'm not. I can't. But I. I but I. I. I that's a million dollar question. And, but I don't think they. But I. I can say I don't think they. I don't think they're going to win the title. I, I think it's it's too too much too soon. No. If you look at the career arcs of these guys, and and you said it, Irving was the first option in the beginning in Cleveland. They were mm-hmm. awful. Mm-hmm. He's the second option. That doesn't last more than three years. He goes right. to Boston two years as the number one guy. That doesn't work. And now yeah. he's been in and out of the lineup for the last two years in Brooklyn. And then Harden, eight, nine years ago, was the number three coming off the bench. Mm-hmm. Now he's been the number one for almost a decade. So the way that their careers have gone, they're different. But it's just a matter of now can they come together and, and really set aside whatever sort of ego they have and, and make, it to, make it work together. I, I don't know. I, I would put them as the title favorite, though. Yeah, I, you know, the problem, too, with the Nets is, like, what, like, what, you know, the, I, as far as I can, I mean, they got rid of, um, I mean, they got rid of, like, their best, like, their best, def- their best, like, interior defender. Like, that's a big problem. You know, there really isn't, like, a, and also, like, I'm from what I, I mean, there isn't, their bench is kind of wobbly, so I. Yeah, it's, it's, it's decent at, at best. I, I don't know. I, I, I mean, look, I mean. The thing about the playoffs is anybody, any team gets hot. So, like, let's say the Nets come in as, like, a four seed or a five seed. You know, things start cooking. You know, Harden, you know, scores 40 without breaking a sweat. You know, Kyrie starts dishing out, you know, double-doubles. You know, KD does KD things. Yeah, I, I, think, I think any team can make a run. I think, I think any team I – mean, I, I think they are – they look good. But I don't know. I, you look at the. I mean, also, I mean, the Clippers look good. I mean, they, they look great I so mean, far. Yep. I mean, they're they're. I mean, they're a great team. Philadelphia. I mean, they got Doc Rivers, and you know, if if Simmons and if if Simmons and Embiid can play well and not, and not get hurt, that'd be a help. I'm curious though with Simmons though, with Ben Simmons, the fact that he was part of that whole trade mill with um with with, with Harden, is that going to affect him? Is that going to is that going to make him? Is that going to play a role I don't know that's definitely um, a good point and I, I actually think and I've said this a hundred times since it happened I think it's downright it's like almost a fireable offense that Houston didn't make the trade for Simmons yeah I mean how could how could you not do that the guy's a top 20 player in the league and he's in his fourth year yeah I, I understand I, they wanted the picks but that that made no sense to me you know I think I think I think Houston's looking to rebuild I mean they, they fired Daryl Morey um you know I think I think they're kind of in a they're kind of in a transition phase but Sim, I mean Simmons to me is is yeah I mean he can't shoot from the outside but he does so many other things so well I mean he to have a six foot ten guy who can bring the ball up court and you know and and dish and and you know give you like eight rebounds a game I mean that's he, he's a great player and he's like, he's so young. So I, I think there is a, he has huge upside. Yeah. I, I, you know, to me, he's a, he, he's an asset. And I, I love him and Embiid in, in that situation. Um, you know, and Embiid seems to be playing really well at this point. And I, and I love Doc Rivers as their coach. I think he's the perfect coach for that team. Um, you know, I, I think I, and I, the same way I like, I like Tyron Lue in, in, in Los Angeles with the Clippers. Love him I think there. He, yep. I, I think said he's, it from the beginning. He's, the he's a great fit. He's a great fit for that team. You know, I, I think Kawhi is, it, it, Kawhi is deadly. I think he's, a, I, I love Kawhi. Um, yeah. I, I don't, but again, like Kawhi has, you know, Kawhi and, and Paul George have, you know, have that year together. Um, you know, uh, Joel and, and Ben Simmons have that, you know, couple of years together there's the, I think chemistry, you know, even though it's been debunked by a lot of people, I do think that plays a role. And I think, I think you, you just can't, I don't think you just throw three, three greens in a pot and call it a stew. So I don't know, maybe, Hey, look, if we, if we talk in five months and, you know, or four months and, you know, the Nets are, are parading, are parading uh, through Williamsburg, you know what? I, I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be totally shocked, but 
you know, the, the common sense part of my head says that I, I, I doesn't see me getting, getting, winning the finals, but I, if I'm wrong, I'll be happy to be wrong. It's, it, it'd be, it'd be a, It'd be amusing. It'd be a great story to follow. That's for sure. You know, especially. I mean, we're both New Yorkers. You live in upstate. I live down more downstate yeah. in New Jersey. But same thing. I mean, I'd love to see a team in our in our area win. It doesn't happen very often. It would be great. I mean, the the Knicks too, especially with the Knicks being. It, it'd be funny to see how the how the if the Nets win, how that changes the Knicks Nets dynamic. Well, I think the Nets have already taken a lot of yeah, that's true attention in our city. I I, I do. And I, people will say, oh, it's a Knicks town. Oh, the Nets will never get the attention. Everybody, everybody who's anybody's talking with the Nets right now. Nobody's talking yeah. about R.J. Barrett and Julius Randle. Who cares? No. It, it, the, the Knicks, too. Also, the Knicks have, have really, I think, extinguished any goodwill. Um, the, the, the <laughs> any goodwill over the last, like, 20-plus years. I mean, yeah, it, it, it is – it's so funny now because, like, the you know, they're – you know, the Knicks, I mean, I can't remember the last, like, splashy, effective free agent that they landed who was like, oh, yeah, like, this, like, it's maybe a Mario right? That's the only guy I can think of. Yeah. yeah, and that was 10 years ago. Yep. So, like, that's that's ancient history. I mean, he's, I mean, Mario Stoudemire is now coaching the Nets, right? He's now, he's now an assistant coach. So, like, that shows you how long ago that was. Yeah, then, again, the Knicks, there's nothing sexy about the Knicks, and that also goes to show you just how – the NBA has changed so much. Like it used to be like, you know, in the seventies, eighties, nineties, you know, you wanted to, if you were a player, you wanted to go to, to LA or, or, or New York because like those were like the media, the media hotspots. That's where everything was happening. And now like you can play anywhere and be your own brand. Like absolutely. The best player in the league spent most of his career in Cleveland. Exactly. And you know, now I mean, you have, he's in Milwaukee. Like you can be anywhere. It doesn't matter. Yeah, And, and look at Steph Curry. I mean, Oakland is not exactly like, you know, uh, it, I mean, Oakland's a, Oakland's a cool city, but it's not, it's not, you know, New York or, or LA, you know, it's, you, yeah, you can, with, with social media now, like you can be a superstar anywhere. And also with, with all the tentacles of TV coverage, you know, there's a game on every night, just about like, if you're a great player, people will find you. Yeah. Like, they will find you. They'll find you. They'll find you. They'll, they'll be able to find you somehow, some way. So it's very, um, so yeah, the, so yeah, the, the note, so I think, yeah, a lot of New York's appeal or, or a lot of the appeal of playing for the Knicks is diminished because again, if you're a LeBron James and you know, you're a star on your own and you have, you know, however many million Twitter followers and you have like a whole media empire behind you and you have Instagram, you have all this cachet, what what is what is moving to New York and being with a shitty team? What is that going to prove? Nothing. Well, it goes back to your point earlier of the league has always tried to market its players first. Exactly. I mean, they don't really care where you are. It doesn't matter what arena or what team you're playing for. The franchise is irrelevant at that point. It's just about how incredibly talented you are and that you're a Hall of Famer and you're going to help your team win. That, that's exactly. really what it's about. If Michael Jordan had landed in Sacramento, Michael Jordan was still would have been the still would have been the one of the biggest celebrities uh, celebrities on the planet absolutely yep because the nba and this you know again this goes back to my earlier rambling points the nba is all was all about finding an asset and marketing the hell out of it so if my so if michael jordan ended up in utah or in sacramento or portland he the nba was going to find him and they were going to put him on every game they could and they were going to showcase him and 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 market him to the hilt and it's the same thing with LeBron, the same thing with Giannis in Milwaukee, you know, Donovan Mitchell, like these, play, the, the, we know who these players are. They're, you know, that's the thing. There are no, maybe 20 years, 20 years ago, you could say, oh, well, he's an overlooked talent or, oh, he's somebody who we don't really see. That's not the case anymore. You know, if you're, if you're a great player, you're going to, you're going to be found and you're going to be found quickly. Like you're, you're going to, you're going to, you're going to be, you know, you're going to be known. I mean, it, it's just, and I think that's the NBA's ultimate triumph is that, you know, if there's a, if there's a great player, you know, a lot of people, a lot of people are going to know about you or, or know about them. And it's, it's, again, it's not like you don't have to get that player on like local television or, you know, have them sit down with the 11 o'clock news to like promote them. Like it's, it's like the machinery, it runs pretty smoothly now where, you know, the stars come up and they're just, you, you know, it's like uh 
is like, you know, July tomatoes. Like they, they pop up, they, you know, they, they ripen on the vine, pluck them, and then, you know, you, you, you move on to the next batch. And as we know, if it's not working out and you're not winning in your situation, there's always a way out. Stars can get out if they want to. So that's also not a Absolutely. problem. Too. If you want to go to a different market, you'll find your way. You'll request yeah. a trade, you'll do something, and you'll, you'll be gone. You know? Absolutely. Yeah. That's the thing. Quick. That's that's the wonderful part. I mean, that's, I mean, again, it used to be, yeah, again, you used to be locked into a team forever. And now it's not the case. It's, it's, it is, it is a, you know, there, I mean, you know, I'm sure a player, I mean, players are going to have their complaints, but like, yeah, you can, you don't have to be miserable. You know, you know, you can, you don't have to be stuck in a situation. Look at James Harden. I mean, he got, I mean, that's probably the, that's probably the, 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 the most recent example of someone who just wasn't really happy where they were. And, you know, they, they, you know, you, they were able, he was able to get out and land in a pretty plumb spot. Yep. And he's not the only one. Bradley Beal is going to be on his way at some point. Yep. Carl Anthony Towns won't be stuck in Minnesota much longer. I can't imagine there, there's going to be a lot of guys who are I'm in and out soon. I'm surprised he's still there, to be honest. With you. I'm surprised. I'm surprised he's still there. Towns? Yeah. I think the only reason is because D'Angelo Russell. Yeah. If those two aren't buds, and they're not friends. You know, they're not together. If that wasn't the case, I think he'd be gone. Yeah. But we'll no, say. It, I don't know. No, we'll see. It's it's that's the thing about the NBA is that like it's. I don't know. It's to me, it's the most fun league to follow because there's all of these personal, like all this drama and intrigue that kind of you know follow follows it or follows around like it's it's pretty it's it's pretty great like you can make a pretty damn good soap opera yep. out, out of an out of an nba team because there's always something like well <laughs> like kevin porter, the one thing i thought was hilarious was kevin porter jr like just getting cut because was it someone took his locker he threw something at someone because of the <laughs> i mean it's on every day the storyline they write themselves nba twitter yeah, NBA Twitter by far is the is the most enjoyable sports Twitter because and you know when you compare it to other sports too, like if if there's a bad team somewhere with a star player, I mean that guy's gonna be locked in most likely. If you can look at a team like the Houston Texans, yeah, I mean they stink, right? Yeah, but we would have never thought that Deshaun Watson would ever have been able to leave there. Drew Brees was with the Saints for years; they were awful. Their defense was among the worst in history. Yeah, he just kept on going year after year after year, putting up major numbers. Nobody cared. Right, but now it's not like that anymore. You can you no. can go. It doesn't matter where you are. But see that's that. But see that what you just mentioned is why I think the NBA is so refreshing for 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 just about anybody. Because again, JJ, you know JJ Watt, Drew Brees, you know Sean Watson, they're all it's, it's all they're all part of the team dynamic. They're all part of the team narrative. You know, like it, it, it's you know that's the, the nfl is all about the shield and under the shield are the teams and the players are like third or fourth you know they're not really it's not really an individual based it the market is not really based on 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 the players the nba it's all about the it's all about the players and it's it's been that and that's been it's been that way for 35 40 years at this point which and again when you when you have when you have a player driven league the storylines are so much more entertaining to follow. Like this is, you know, again, like some dude throwing food, you know, at a, because he, because his locker was, uh, was given away. Like that, that's, that's bananas. And I, I think it also lends to better reporting too, because I don't know, it seems to me that the players are more accessible. They're, you know, you're able, if you're a beat reporter, you might have a better rapport. Um, I don't know. It's just, there's still, there's still a little bit of that, um, of, of that like homegrown touch. That, that I love that that I think makes the NBA special there's oh there's a little bit of that you know a little bit a little bit of that drama a little bit of that family dysfunction that I I I, I, I that I love about the NBA so I, I'll again I'll never I'll never get tired of NBA Twitter because it's just it's just it's just so it's so ripe with drama and intrigue and then the trade then you have the hot stove season the trades and the all-star game stuff it's yeah, it's it, there's not there's nothing better, nothing better. No, it never stops. No, never. All right, I just want to thank you, Pete, uh, for coming on again. It was a great time to talk to you. We talked about the book. We talked about today's NBA. A lot of things that are going on. Uh, yeah. Your book, From Hang Time to Prime Time, is available on Amazon. Where else can you get it? Yeah, you can get it from pretty much any brick and mortar bookstore, pretty much any uh, online retailer where uh, where books are uh, that sells books. Um, even Walmart and Target, I think, sell it online, which is crazy to me. Oh. So, like, if you, you can get Swiffer pads and like also pick up my book, um, if you want an autographed copy of my book, uh, you can get that at Odyssey Bookstore in Ithaca. Um, they are selling uh, 
they are selling autographed copies. So you can pick them up, you can pick one up at the store or you can have it shipped uh, for an extra $5. And you can go to odysseybookstore.com uh, to, uh, to place your order or to find out more about that. Just email or call the staff, they're great. Um, yeah, and also if you buy the book, uh, I'm happy to mail, you, mail a signed book plate your way. Just, you know, I'm easy to find on Twitter at Pete Croato. That's C-R-O-A-T-T-O at, uh, yeah, at Pete Croato. So I'm easy to find. My email is easy to find. So just drop me a line and I'll send you a book plate, no charge. And uh, I think that's it. I don't think any other retailers are selling it unless like, you know, I don't know, PNC Fresh is selling it or, or Walgreens, but I don't, I haven't seen, I haven't seen a copy there. So yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, it was good to have you on. That, that does it for episode number 15. Thank you again, Pete. Uh, I'll be back with more sports on sports next week here on the Belly Up Podcast Network.